So, are you okay? Galatia. What is Galatia? Galatia is modern-day Turkey, but you need to be thinking of this. At the time that this was written, it was populated by European Celts. So think the Irish. I bet you have never thought that when you've read the book to Galatians, that these are actually more European Celtish, the Irish. Are you okay? Well, the Christian and the churches in Galatia are not okay. Not at all. Paul says so in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul is an apostle. He's not a super saint, so he doesn't talk like us, right? He doesn't over-spiritualize. He's not always nice. You know, we say things like, amen, to someone who's like, with their warped view of the world, they could be wrecking the church or wrecking uh, their home or wrecking relationships or wrecking a marriage or wrecking their kids or wrecking a culture or wrecking an institution. We say, hey, man, could you please stop? Please, pretty please. Uh, Paul just tells it like it is. What does Paul do? You idiot. You idiots. Who's bewitched you? Literally, who's put a spell on you? See, Paul's read Harry Potter too, like everybody else in the world. Whatever's going on with the Christians or the churches in Galatia, it's powerful. Do you see this? It holds them with the power of a spell. But isn't this what it feels like? When you're not okay, doesn't it feel like some powerful spell has got a hold on you that you're under something? What is this powerful spell? Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So I'm going to give you the literal translation, and this is the translation that Luther used in his legendary commentary. I encourage all of us, maybe this fall, maybe we'll throw some out. We talked about this, to read Galatians commentary by Luther. If you want like one of your top 10 books that you will never stop reading for the rest of your life, that's one of them. So here's the literal translation. This is the translation Luther worked off of. This is the translation that finally awakened this passage to me. Are you an idiot, having begun by or in the Spirit? Are you now, present tense, trying to perfect yourself in or by the flesh? What is this powerful spell? It's trying to perfect yourself. It's trying to perfect yourself before God trying to perfect yourself before others, trying to perfect yourself before yourself, trying to perfect yourself before the law, big capital L law like God's law, and trying to perfect yourself before all the little laws of life that we construct, like the law of thinness, or the law of capability, or the law of success. 
trying to perfect yourself is a powerful spell. It's so powerful. It has its spell on an entire empire called the social media universe. The power to perfect yourself is so powerful. It looks like chronic stress in your life, chronic anxiety in your life, chronic exhaustion in your life. It's so powerful. It looks like discontentment, this inability to be okay. It's so powerful, it looks like identity crisis. It's like we're a sinking self. We're a collapsed self. There's not a solidness to us. We, we don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We, we feel like we're being swallowed up by quicksand. It's so powerful, it's a relational wrecker. Because you just can't contain the spell within your own life. You've got to perfect everyone outside of your life, everyone in your world, your spouse, your kids, your church, your leaders, your institutions, your workmates, your classmates, your teammates. Trying to perfect yourself is so powerful, it's such a powerful spell that it looks like toxic churches. Controlling leaders. Divisive church members and church attenders. Performance-driven ministries like, we got to make something happen. Trying to perfect yourself is so powerful. It looks like moralizing movements. Not a lot of that going on today in the church, in the culture. What do we mean by moralizing? It means you take your preferences and you take your ideologies and you take things that might be good or, or neutral or newly discovered things about creation, but you take these things and you moralize them, which means you divinize them. And then those that don't share your particular view of the world your opinion, your preferences, your political party, your ideology, you demonize them. You're Satan. Trying to perfect yourself is a powerful spell. Dane Ortland, in his new book, Gentle and Lowly, describes the powerful spell this way. He says, there, there's an entire psychological substructure that due to the fall is a near constant manufacturing, this is what it does, of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, scorekeeping, neurotic controlling, anxiety festering silliness that is not something we say or even think so much as something we exhale. You can smell it on people, though some of us are good at hiding it. And if you trace this fountain of scurrying haste and all its various manifestations down to the root, you don't find childhood difficulties or a Meyer-Briggs diagnosis or Freudian impulses. You find the natural fruit of living in the universe of the law. Are you okay? Galatians answers no. No, you're not. 
you live in a mental universe of law. So is there anything, is there anything powerful enough to break this spell on you, on me, on a church, on a culture, on an institution, in our parenting, in our children, in our ministries, in our neighborhoods, our schools, the way we teach, coach, live, relate. Is there anything powerful enough to break the hold of this universe, this mental universe of the law? I've got to perfect myself. I've got to perfect myself. Verse 6 seems like a misplaced sentence until it's not. Look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, scholars don't know what to do with verse 6. I'm going to tell you up front. So what I'm about to tell you, I don't know what I'm about to tell you, but what I'm about to tell you might be a little different. You might not have heard this before. I'm not saying that what I'm saying is novel. I'm saying it's been lost for a while. It used to be the popular universal interpretation of reality in the church. It's not today. So people don't know what to do with verse 6. They don't know whether it goes with verse 5 or whether it goes verse 7 or whether it stands on its own. In other words, people don't understand where verse 6 fits in with Paul's train of thought. Well, what's Paul's train of thought in these verses? Paul's train of thought is healthy Christians and healthy churches. He's concerned about healthy Christians and healthy churches. In other words, he's concerned about the Christian life. He's concerned about relationships, real life. He's concerned about what theologically we call sanctification. But sanctification has to do with us personally, and it has to do with the church corporately. That's why he's writing this letter. So he's about healthy churches, healthy Christians. Now insert verse 6 into the mix. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What do you get when you insert verse 6 into this mix? What you get is a great debate. A massive debate that's going on right now. And it's been going on ever since fig leaves became the thing. What is this massive debate? debate. What is it? Here it is. You ready? If you answer this, you're great. You're good to go. What does justification have to do with healthy Christians and healthy churches? That's the debate. Some of the most influential pastors in the country right now are answering very little. They're saying... They even say things like, we talked about this, we used to believe it was everything. We think justification needs help now. Again, all the chaos these past two years, right? We used to think, we used to believe that. We don't anymore. Some of the most popular pastors in the country, in our tradition. 
You need more to be healthy, we're being told today. The church needs more to be healthy. There's more to the church. There's more to Christianity. So let me be very clear in my response to all these popular pastors, please, so there's no misunderstanding, so there's no confusion. Here's my response. Are you an idiot? Are you an idiot? Is there anything that can break the spell that even holds popular pastors right now? Is there anything that can break the hold of this mental universe of the law that we live in? Carl Truman, in his hot new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says, here, this is phenomenal. Identity, identity. Just so we know what identity is. Identity is your sense of self. Identity is whether you, it's an objective reality of who you are. In other words, you don't necessarily, it's not necessarily how you feel about yourself, though that is part of it. We're just saying, what is real identity? And then whatever real identity is, whatever a solid self is, whatever an intact identity is, whatever a real sense of self is, we want you to feel it, the Bible says. Want you to experience the power, the freedom, the joy, the life, the security, the way you're supposed to be as a human being, okay? So there's an objective reality, like what is it? And then there's the subjective reality is, like, do you know that and feel that? Do you believe that? Is that part of your life, okay? So all that is in that word identity. Identity requires recognition by another. Oh, my word. I read that and it just like knocked the air out of me. I read it and I went, of course it does. In other words, you are only okay if you are recognized by another. Verse 6 says, you are finally recognized by another. God recognizes us. God recognizes you. Divine recognition breaks the spell. Divine recognition ends the need to perfect yourself. Divine recognition ends the mental universe or what we could call, what Paul calls, the curse of the law. Paul is saying, justification makes healthy Christians. Justification makes healthy churches. Justification, which means the gospel, doesn't need our help. It doesn't need our help in the Christian life. It doesn't need our help in healthy Christianity and healthy churches and healthy Christians. It doesn't need our help. Now, this is stunning, right? I mean, this is pretty stunning. I think it is. It's too good to be true, is it not? 
This is why it's challenged, and this is why it's debated, and this is why it's questioned, and this is why it's doubted, and this is why it's ridiculed, and this is why it's resisted continually, continuously, never-endingly for a long time. Every once in a while, it becomes rediscovered. And wherever it gets rediscovered, I want you to look at church history. I want you to go and look at church history and say, whenever this doctrine of justification, not only for coming in as a Christian, but for living as a healthy Christian, whenever that happens in the church, you know what happens? Revival. The pouring out, the supplying of God's Spirit is extraordinary. And normal Christianity gets heightened. Normal Christianity accelerates. Normal Christianity spills over the banks. Galatians, I told you, will make you ask, why haven't I heard this before? And it will make you feel deep in your bones. Oh, I hope it's true. I want it to be true. It just sounds too good to be true. This is why Paul spends some time proving it. So we are too. You ready? Proof number one is for anyone who challenges this. If you're a challenger of this right now, this is for you, this proof. If you debate it, if you challenge it, if you ridicule it, resist it, disbelieve it, doubt it, this proof is for you. I've already used it. You're an idiot. That's proof number one. So let's move on to proof number two. Galatians 2.2 says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by hearing with faith? Paul's question is pretty straightforward. In other words, he's saying, how did you become a Christian? He gives you two answers, two options. Did you become a Christian by works of the law? In other words, trying to perfect yourself. Or did you become a Christian by hearing the gospel with faith? In other words, by hearing and trusting the work of another, by hearing and trusting the performance of another, by hearing and trusting the perfection of another, by hearing about justification. So proof number two is, of course it's option number two, right? Justification is how you became a Christian. That's proof number two. So Paul's saying, so really, don't be an idiot. Then he goes on to proof number three, right? Here's proof number three, and it's actually pretty, pretty hilarious. In verse two, Paul says, let me ask you only this. Like, I'm only going to ask you one question until I ask you two more. I love it. He's a preacher. He gets carried away. <laughs> he gets a little excited. He, gets a, he has a little exaggeration. So I feel a little preacher exaggeration license right now because Paul does so. I'm only going to give you one question. He actually gives us three. Galatians 2.5. Does he who supplies present tense. So now we're talking about present tense supplies of the spirit. So yes, there are present supplies. Continual supplies of the Holy Spirit for Christians and for churches. Paul says so right here. So there are continual supplies of the Holy Spirit as a Christian. Supplies of God working in your lives as Christians and in churches, right? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works, same thing, present tense, so now it's saying miracles, a literal translation, which I think is better because miracles tends to go on to uh, things that 
you know, those in our tradition are like, ooh, let's skip that passage. Right? <laughs> Maybe this will help you. Miracles also means strengths, powers, works, wonders. So, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, present tense, works, strengths, powers, wonders among you? In other words, again, there are continual manifestations of the Holy Spirit's strengths, powers, and works in your life as a Christian and as a church, healthy Christians, healthy churches, does he do so by works of the law, by hearing with faith? You can't get any clearer than this, people. This is for a little footnote for all you third users of the law, folks. You need to be very, very careful. Those of you who don't know what that means, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Again, Paul's question is pretty straightforward. How do you continue as a Christian? How do you grow? How do you get sanctified as a Christian? How do you become a healthy Christian? How do you become a healthy church? By works of the law, trying to perfect yourself, by living in the mental universe of the law, or by hearing the gospel with faith, or by hearing about the and trusting in the work of another, the performance of another, the perfection of another, the recognition of another. One Galatians scholar writes about this verse this way. The spirit does not work apart from the gospel, period. Period. The spirit works as you believe, apply, and use the gospel. Proof number three is this. Justification makes healthy Christians. Justification makes healthy churches. Justification is not just the gateway to become a Christian. Justification is the pathway as a Christian. So really, don't be an idiot. What does this practically look like? And this is how we're going to end. How does the gospel practically be the gateway in your life and in Redeemer's life, healthy Christians, healthy churches, and be the pathway? How, do, what, how does this practically happen for us? I want you to look at verse 1 again. O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The last time I checked, Galatia was 767 miles away from Jerusalem. I checked last night. The last time I checked when Jesus died, there was no such thing as an Apostle Paul. He wasn't even around as a Christian or an Apostle. He didn't exist. There was no such thing as a Christian church in Galatia. The Galatian churches in Galatia did not exist the last time I checked when Jesus hung on the cross. But Paul acts like they were there. Do you see that? Right before your eyes, church. Right before your eyes, you saw him. When the gospel is preached, when the gospel is spoken, when the gospel is read, when the gospel is discussed amongst us, when the gospel is thought hard about, when the gospel is prayed, when the gospel is discovered in small groups, 
when the gospel is sung to one another, when the gospel is shared with others, you are there. You are there. Your condemnation is there. The very doom of your very being is there. Your justification is there. The very recognition of your very being. Unrecognized by the other. I am okay. You see Jesus. He shows up for you. And people, my friends, he's enough. In other words, he makes you healthy. So, don't be an idiot. Don't think, don't feel, don't relate, don't theologize, don't live, don't do the Christian life and don't do church as if Jesus needs your help, as if the gospel needs your help. as if you can perfect yourself. There are many questions that surround us. I'm not pretending that this answers them all, but I guarantee you we will press into those on Wednesday night, on the Wednesday night class, just by looking at the spiritual disciplines. In other words, beyond 500-page discipleship manual. Are you okay? No. But God justifies the ungodly. God recognizes us. He recognizes us, and that recognition goes down to the roots of our very being, both legally and dynamically. Continuously, the Holy Spirit is supplied to you by the powerful hearing of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And as you begin to see and discover the infinite riches of that, the wonders of it, like the gospel's a diamond that has many cuts, and you spin and you look at one cut, one message. It takes your breath away. The beauty heals you. It saves you. It makes you healthy. This is the gateway. This is the pathway for the Christian. Justification. God, the gospel justifies you. The gospel sanctifies you. So don't be an idiot. Amen. Let me pray.